Hey, welcome to the C3 Church Victory Podcast. We pray this message will inspire you and activate your faith. Thanks for joining us. Time for week two of our Mark series. Hands up if you were here last week. Just a little show of hands. How much recap do I need to do? That makes a pastor's heart really, really, like that, that boys my heart, right? To see people here week in and week out, you know, let's, let's, let's not slip into the, the whole, oh, we, you know, we're regulars, we go once a month. Um, that's, that, that's not regular, all right, in any, in any sense of the word, no matter whether it's going to the gym, uh, whether it's buying your wife flowers, or whether it's going to church, once a month is not regular. All right, so I'm going to kick it off right there. Encourage you to be in the house of God to not neglect the gathering of his people. Uh, But I want to welcome our online uh, community this morning. You guys are amazing. I love how consistently you guys come together in that online space, and we love you, and we know that God is going to do something in your life this morning. So lean in, get your Bible open. We are in a section of Mark that we have entitled Announcing Authority announcing authority. And it's related to, uh, obviously, John the Baptist coming and announcing Jesus, but it's not just that, right? Because it's Jesus coming to announce himself at the same time. Um, And as we progress into the next few verses, you're going to find that the authority that Jesus carries as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, as the supreme over all of creation, starts to come to fruition in and through what he is able to do that no one else is able to do as demons flee and storm are calmed and, and we begin to see the, the reality of the authority that he has as the Son of God. Um, we're going to read this morning from Mark chapter 1, verse 9 to 13. Mark chapter 1, 9 to 13. I'm going to do my best to get through a whole four verses of Scripture. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. I said to Rach last night as I was kind of putting the final touches on, I think every verse could be a message. So... We'll see how we go. Just while you're finding that, um, I, I, I may have made an error last week in articulating to you some of the books that I recommend you read. So here is my correction on those. Um, there is a great book by N.T. Wright called Mark for Everyone, um, which I think said was Tim Keller's book. Tim Keller's book is called King's Cross. Uh, It is also a really, really good read um, and not too heavy. If you're into the heavy stuff, um, the commentary that our pastoral team is studying from at the moment is by William Lane from the New International Commentary on the New Testament. So there you go, three books, clarify, correct authors and titles now for you. Let's read the Bible. Mark 1 verse 9 says this, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. There is always a time. There is always a time that God ordains. And we can get really frustrated if we don't understand that because all of our effort is not producing what we expect, when we expect. And sometimes we have to relinquish the goal of time in our lives because ultimately a surrendered life is a surrendered life in terms of when as much as what. And often we don't want to surrender the when. We have a plan. We have a timeline. We have a, well, I want this to happen now, or I want this to happen at this point. And, and when, the, when the what doesn't happen when, we start to question whether God is good. God is good, and God is faithful, and actually God is in time uh, of the when as much as the what. And we just need to get better at surrendering the when and stop trying to live our lives in accordance with the plan that we construct around cultural norms and expectations. 
at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized. He didn't come before that because the preparation wasn't there. John was the preparation. And he came and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once, there's Mark's language, there's urgency. At once, immediately, straight away, at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels attended him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is the light to our path, the lamp unto our feet, Father. Pray that you would use it today to shape us, to separate our thinking from your truth in Jesus' name. And Lord, please, as the jets begin to rebuild, do what you can, Lord. Help them. Amen. Amen. I haven't prayed for the Jets in a long time, but it's the beginning of a new season or the end of an old one, and they need, they need some prayers to get some transfers right, and we're going to have a great season. I don't know if you have ever had a, a time in your life where you have um, gone on a, uh, like a journey, right? Like a, um, I was in the Scouts when I was younger, and we used to go on these multi-day hikes and multi-day like kayak trips, and we'd pack the, the kayak up with our tents and, and food and all sorts of things, and we'd just kayak along these rivers. And, and part of it was the challenge, right? Part of it was the, this thing seems beyond me, but I know if I pursue, if I go through with it, it's going to teach something about me. It's going to, it's going to clarify in me that I'm more than I thought I was. And, and so we, we embark on these, these crazy sort of wilderness adventures. I don't know, has anyone ever done one like that? Like, I'm going to walk from Newcastle to Sydney. Uh, it's not really the wilderness, let's be honest. But, you know, we got... We, we got, we got um, some people here that have, that have been in the army, in the armed forces, and, and you, I know you guys go on like these crazy hikes and, and all sorts of things and, and, and training. I actually know nothing of it, but I know Pastor Darren knows what I'm talking about. And there's something about it that's about trying to prove to ourselves. We go out into these wilderness situations and circumstances. We go out into these places where the things that support us and the things that we've constructed around our lives for comfort and, 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 and kind of enabling us to live the way we want, they're kind of stripped away. And in some ways, it's us being like, can I survive in these places? Am I enough? And, and, and who am I? And what am I going to find out about myself in these spaces? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, there's a great movie. It's called Into the Wild, where there's this young guy and he's like, I'm I'm just going to leave all of this stuff behind. I'm going to go and prove myself. And I don't want to be a spoiler, but um, it doesn't go to plan. Um, but we go on these, these risky journey, journeys out into the wilderness. And um, there's something about the wilderness, right, that, that it's like it shapes us somehow. There's this, I don't know, uh, I can't speak for um, the women in the room, but I know for us as men, there's something in us that, that it almost craves the wilderness. 
It craves that place where we, we're going to forge our own way. We're going we're gonna to make, we're going to survive. Uh, and, and there's a reason why Bear Grylls and all of his shows like, uh, are so big, right? It's because there's something in us that's like, I want to put myself in that situation where I am pitting myself against the elements. And if I come out alive, I've learned something about myself. I'm a survivor. I can make it happen. I can make fire, right? Like cast away. I'm the girl. I can't remember what he said, but that sort of thing comes up in us when we think about going out into the wilderness. And here we have John the Baptist out in the wilderness, calling Jesus out into the wilderness. And you've got to wonder why this is such a significant moment in the formation of Jesus in his, in his humanness as much as in who he was in the divine, right? Because he was fully God and yet fully man. And there are things he does and things he walks through on this planet because he has to be fully man. Otherwise, he cannot do what he has been called to do. He has to live fully human with every desire that we have and every inkling that we have within us. That's why he can say on the, uh, that, that, that he understands every single burden that we carry. And last week, for the plethora of you who are here, which was great because I can go quick now, but last week we talked about how do we read the Bible properly? How do we interpret Scripture properly? We talked about our contextual framework. And it's important we don't forget that this week, right? We talked about who wrote it, the author, when was it written, the date, who was it written to, the audience, and why was it written? And they're really important because they help us frame what we read and make sure that we are reading it and interpreting it in the right context, Okay. We've got, to, we've got to remember, the book of Mark was not actually written to us. They had no idea we would exist when they wrote it. They wrote it into their world for the believers at that time. And when we understand why it was written to them, we get a better perspective on what does it mean for us. And then, okay, so then what does it mean for me? And I, you know, last week I was a little bit firm on that. And you know, I, don't, I don't mean that God won't speak to you out of the Bible. It doesn't mean that when you're doing your devotion and you open up scripture and it's like, oh my goodness, I just feel like God is speaking to me out of this. This is so resonating with me about what I'm going through. I'm not saying that that's not from God. What I'm saying is that you need to be careful forming a theology in isolation. You need to be careful taking one thing that you feel like God has told you or a couple of things that you feel like God has told you and forming a construct about how you view God and the world from that without testing it in community. Okay, because it's one thing to say God encouraged me from His Word or God spoke to me out of that. It's another to make completely life-shaping decisions and belief systems out of something that you feel like God said to you in isolation from the community that God put you in for your formation. And so, and so it's really important, thank you for the clap from the side of stage, that was, that was great. It's really important to, to love your personal life and devotion with Jesus, but to know that that's not the place in which we construct our theology about God. We are supposed to do that in community, where iron sharpens iron, where someone can be like, oh, I don't know if that lines up with what God is explained in, in Peter, where Peter says, you know, like we've got to be in that community where it can be shaped and formed so that we don't get weird theology. And so we looked at last week, we looked at like, bam, John the Baptist comes on the scene. He's like this crazy guy from the wilderness. He's eating the degustation, you know, the, the locusts and the wild honey, and he's not paying $200 a head for it like we do. And, and he comes onto the scene, and he's like, you've got to understand, he is the first prophetic voice to the nation of Israel in 400 years. In 400 years, God has not spoken 
to Israel, God's chosen nation, the one who he led through the, the wilderness with a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. He has not spoken to them in 400 years. And John comes on the scene, this crazy guy from the wilderness who's eating weird and he's, he's, wearing, he's wearing fur, but like camel skins. Um, and he says the same message because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same message we read in the prophets of the Old Testament, repent, repent, repentance is required to reconnect with Jesus, repent, it's the same message. He's out in the wilderness, he's like, come out into the wilderness and repent and reconnect with Jesus, surrender, lay your life down, realize that you need to go through this process of repenting of sin, repenting of, of mindsets, repenting of this, bring it before God, same, same message. And we talked about the fact that the wilderness is God's wonderland. And we're going to dig a little bit deeper into that today, right? Because, because when we, as we read our scriptures today, what we get is not so much John, we get, we get Jesus. We get Jesus. And it says, Jesus came out to the wilderness. He came out to the Jordan River. Now, you've you got to understand the Jordan River is really significant through scripture. I think I mentioned this last week, it's this transitionary moment all the time, and I thought I'd, I'd, I'd give you a little bit of an idea of what I'm talking about, right? So you can track the Jordan River all the way back to Abraham. So if you track the path that Abraham goes when God calls him and says, I'm going to show you, just follow me, I'm not going to show you the destination, I'm just going to ask you to follow me and trust that, that we'll get to where we need to go, right? If you take anything away from from this message today, know that sometimes God doesn't show you the destination. He asks for trust in the journey. Too often we want the destination, we want the whole picture. God, where am I going? And God says, no, 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 it's not about where, it's about who you're going with. God cares more about walking with you than getting you to where you think you need to go. And it's funny because just before Abraham crosses into the promised land, what does he cross? It's the Jordan River. The promised land is bordered by, by the river. So Abraham going from Ur into the promised land, he crosses over this Jordan River. It's the first time that we see that the promise and the movement into the promise is kind of bordered by this Jordan River. Now you're like, yeah, well, that's geography, that's geography 101. Like the river's not going anywhere. No, but scripturally, it continues to be referenced at moments of transition. And it's powerful when things are done that in scripture, right? Because, because then we get when Moses gets to the promised land, he doesn't, he doesn't get across the Jordan. But then the moment that the Israelite nation crosses into the promise, what do they have to cross? The Jordan River, it's that moment of transition between Moses, the Exodus, and Joshua moving into the promise. It's the, the moment of transition between the promise that was to the promise being the reality. It's, it's, it's where manna shifts from, from being provision every day to, to God saying, when you step foot across that river, no longer am I going to provide for you like this. Now you're going to live off the blessing of the land. It's that, it's that shift again from we are dependent for this to we're living in the, the, the freedom of the promise. And then... Uh, what have I got here? Oh, yeah. So just, you know, the moment that Israel went out to exile, when they were exiled, the pathway out takes them back across, transitioning across the Jordan, out of the promise into exile. And then when they transition back from exile, they're going to they're gonna have to walk across that again to come back into the promised land. And so there's all these moments in, that correlate with the, the promise that God has given Israel and 
something to do with the Jordan River. And so it should not surprise us the moment that God wants to instigate the transition from the law to grace, right? From, from the old covenant to the new covenant, from, from Israel into the new family of God, from, from death to life, from, from just Israel to now all nations on earth to be blessed. This moment from, from the rule of sin over humanity to the rule of life over humanity from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of heaven. Here we find this moment, this major transitionary moment being the Jordan River. And so Jesus comes out into the wilderness to be baptized by John in the point of transition because he is the transition. And so we get the, the Jordan River meeting the living river in this moment of, I mean, I, I, I'm gonna move on from the river, but there's, there's so much in that. There's so much in that because Jesus submersed himself into the very thing he was called to be, the river of life. He was, I'm going to move on. Enter, enter Jesus, the promise, the promised one. It says that he, he must be baptized. Why? Because he was fully human. He couldn't forego the human journey for the sake of his divinity. It was the human journey that he was trying to restore. It was the human journey that he was trying to bring restoration and resurrection to. And so he had to be fully human. He had to walk the fully human journey. And so, so the journey of humanity to go into that place to, to be uh, baptized for the repentance of sin, not that he had any, but the fact that he was fully human and leaning into that journey. It says he had to be baptized and he went and he was baptized for, by John. The first Adam from the garden was cast into the wilderness, severing relationship with God. The second Adam gets called from into the wilderness to restore relationship with God. This is the picture that we're dealing with here in Scripture. We are dealing with this moment where the wilderness and, and, and the blessing, they come together and, 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 and we have Israel who's always been called into the wilderness for times of repentance and restoration. If you track scripture, you will notice that whenever God wants to restore relationship with Israel, there is a wilderness experience. Because the wilderness strips something off us. It strips us away from the things that we think define us and the things that we think prop up our capacity to live this life. And, and, and if we're not careful without the wilderness, we'll start to think that it's us that carries us. That it's in my strength and in my might. And the scripture we read earlier, it's not, it's, it's by His Spirit. And so sometimes God will use the wilderness to remind you that it's not in you, it's you in Him. And He does it all the time with Israel. He's like, you guys still don't get it. Let's have another wilderness experience. Let's go back out into the wilderness. And what is restored in the wilderness is always relationship with God. Whether it was with Moses, with the pillar of fire and the cloud, or whether, you know, it's, it's this moment right now where Jesus is being called back into the wilderness to restore relationship once and for all. John, who is a man in the wilderness, stands calling to the people in the towns, come out to the wilderness, repent. Come out to the place of restoration. Come out to the place where God uses to restore relationship with himself. And in that moment, what we get is we see Jesus, the one, responding. Jesus, John is standing there announcing, John is calling Israel, who is in Scripture called God's child. So he is, John is calling God's child out into the wilderness for repentance and restoration. And who comes for them but God's actual son? Out into the wilderness 
on our behalf to restore our relationship with God. We get this collision of promise and prophecy in a present moment. And it's one of the only times in strict scripture where we see both or all three, the Father, Son, and Spirit, all present to confirm what is occurring. You get that in the Old Testament after, after creation. And you won't get it again until Jesus has a transfiguration moment. But right there, where promise meets prophecy in the present moment, where, where John, who is calling God's son Israel, into repentance, and the Son himself comes for us. We find the Son coming up out of the water, heaven opening the voice of the Father and the Spirit descending like a dove. We get the full expression of the Godhead there in that moment in earth saying, you know what, this is a very significant moment, don't miss it. John announces and the Trinity confirms. You know, confirmation always comes with acknowledgement, and anointing. If you're looking for confirmation in your calling, if you're like, God, what are you, what are you calling me to in this life? What, are you, what have you gifted me to do? What, are you, what is it that I am here for? Why am I on this planet? I know it's got something to do with you. I know it's got something to do with your kingdom. What is it? It's two keys, acknowledgement and anointing. Other people will see gifts in you that direct a certain way. And then when you do it, there'll be something of God on it. Acknowledgement and anointing. It's not that difficult, okay? It's not, it should, we should take calling out of this weird cosmic conceptual space and bring it down to what am I good at and what succeeds a little bit beyond my capacity when I do it. That's acknowledgement. And other people are like, well, you, you, you're good at that. And then there'll be the, the, the anointing, which is the, the power of God working through the gift that he gave you to achieve something that's probably beyond what you could do on your own. Acknowledgement and anointing. Jesus the Son, he sees heaven open and his dad speak. The Spirit coming upon him. So his dad acknowledges and the Spirit anoints. And so in that moment, Jesus gets the greatest confirmation of his calling on the planet. But you know, it's interesting because John's experience is a little different, right? In that moment, John's baptizing, Jesus is coming up, they're both there. If you read John, the, the Gospel of John, not written by John the Baptist, just for clarity's sake, you will, you will notice that John records that, that John saw, but it doesn't say that he heard. It says that he saw the anointing, but he didn't hear the confirmation. And that's really important because most of the time, as, as, as people in church, we will see an anointing on someone, but you will not always hear what God says to them. And for those of you that, that, that want to function in the call that God has on your life, never dismiss the, the, the confirmation that God gives you in your spirit because that's what you stand on. That's the thing that God gives to you. That's the thing the Father speaks into you that maybe no one else ever hears. But everybody will see the anointing. Everybody will recognize that, wow, that stuff happens better than you, you, we expect when you do that because, because that's God working through you. So others will always see the anointing, but they won't always hear the confirmation. They might not hear your calling, but they will see it. You know, verse 11 is really powerful because verse 11 says, voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. 
you know, identity, position, and value to Jesus come prior to his performance or his success. You know, too often we think that to be loved by God, I have to do what he's called me to do. No, that's bad theology. Good theology says, I'm loved so I can now go and do what he's called me to do. Because if I don't know first that I'm loved, valued, accepted, I will function out of insecurity in the calling that God has called me to and I will minimize my effectiveness because insecurity will act like a void to what he's called me to do. And so and if we don't get this right, we will then use what we're called to to try to fill the gap of our insecurity and it will never fill it. It will never fill it because we're supposed to know before that God loves us fully and completely. We are 100% accepted by Him. He, 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 we cannot even articulate how much He loves us. Paul tells us, I can't even comprehend how wide and how deep and how high the love of God is for you, but I pray you would try because it is the most significant and powerful thing that you can grasp in your life. The love of God for you, the acceptance of God for you and the identity that you have as His child. And it's interesting that this comes from God for Jesus before He does any miracles. In fact, the last time we heard about Jesus, He was in the temple and His, his parents were looking for Him. If you track the narrative of His life, birth, Egypt, temple, nothing. Baptism. You're my son, whom I love. But I've done nothing. You don't need to. You're my son. How do I be your son? You don't. You're my son. I have a son. He did nothing to be that. I could get into the technical elements, but we won't. He did nothing to become my son. He just gets to be it. He just is. And he always will be. He's my son, whom I love. Nothing He does will ever change that. Nothing you do will ever change the fact that you are God's son or daughter and He loves you. You do not need to seek it, strive for it. The hardest thing is just to accept it. Mainly because we know ourselves. N.T. Wright says this in that book. He says, the whole Christian gospel could be summed up in this point. That when the living God looks at us, at every baptized and believing Christian, he says to us what he said to Jesus on that day. He sees us not as we are in ourselves, but as we are in Jesus Christ. You, Ah, my dearly loved son, you bring me great joy. Sometimes you just need to imagine God saying that over you. I really wish I had more time. Because immediately after the confirmation comes the testing. And what we do is we misconstrue 
we get the confirmation and we go, yes, feel great, I'm gonna step. And the moment we step, we step into the wilderness and we step into the testing and we're like, God, like, did I get something wrong? And the, the issue is, the issue is, the issue is that, that, that identity defines our behaviour. So we have an expectation that now that our identity has been redefined and confirmed and we're accepted and valued, we think we will suddenly act different. But we don't. The tempting comes and we, we just go and we do what we always did. Maybe I'm the only one. Maybe I'm the only one that thinks I'm a son of God. And then the next moment, I'm allowing all of this thinking that I don't want to be thinking or I shouldn't be thinking to just rattle around in my mind. And I'm like, well, maybe I'm not. Because we misunderstand what those moments of temptation are. We misunderstand the fact that God gave Jesus the confirmation, immediately sent him into the wilderness. The Spirit sent him into the wilderness. So, so therefore the wilderness, it's not as if, it's not as if God didn't know that the, that the enemy was coming to tempt Jesus. God is all knowing. That wasn't a surprise attack from the enemy. God sent his son after confirming his identity into a confrontation with the enemy where he would come out of that, either securing his identity or, or falling back into a place of temptation. Can I tell you why after you get a moment of confirmation, you go into a season of battle? Because God knows that on the other side of that battle, you will have confirmed that piece of identity in you and the enemy will never be able to take it from you again. You have to go through the battle. And the forgiveness of Christ means it doesn't matter if you fail. You get another chance. And so God will always send you into that battle. He will always encourage you to pursue and go forward because He knows that it might take you 10, 50, 100 times to overcome that particular temptation. But He knows when you do, the enemy loses his hold on you in that area of your life and he can never get it back again. And we do not get that without the battle. We do not get that unless we confront the temptation of the enemy that always leans into that part of your identity that is insecure. There is no temptation the enemy will try to bring against a part of your identity that is secure. He knows he can't get a foothold. But it is in the places of insecurity. It is in the places of fear where we want to believe what God says, but we still doubt it because our behavior tells us we're still different. It's in those places where our mind tells us we are something other than what the Word of God tells us. It is that place where when we read James and it says that a man is, 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 is moved around by the winds, that is an insecure man where his mindset is not secure. It's insecure. He still doesn't really believe he is who he says he is because he has not proved it to himself in the wilderness with the battle. It's in the battle that we prove to ourselves that we really are the Son of God, that we really are the, the, the new creation that God has told us we are. It's in confronting the enemy in the way he tries to tempt us that we say, no, I am what this says I am. Sorry, I'm preaching to myself. That's why the wilderness is God's wonderland. Did you ever sit and think, Maybe, maybe God just 
lets the enemy have the wilderness to do God's purpose for him. Like he's playing him the whole time. Like the cross, the cross was the greatest missed victory in all of time where the enemy thought that he had won and God was playing him the whole time. God uses the wilderness to take us from being free from to being free to. You know, Pastor Keith preaches awesome message about as a series of messages about being free from and free to. And it's, it's lived with me and it's, it's rattled around in me because, because in between free from and free to is the wilderness. In between free from and free to is where we have to confront the temptation to return to what He set us free from. When we look at the Israelites and they were set free from Egypt, it took them a whole journey through the wilderness until they were free to partake of the promised land. And what, what did they complain about the whole way. Oh, we want to go back. We want to go back to who we were and what we did. At least we got meat back there. At least we got this back there. And I'm telling you, in your journey to become the expression of the identity of Christ that He has called you to, you will always be tempted to go back to be who you used to be. You will always be tempted to go back to the way you used to act. I know this for real, right? This was this is so much my journey because although I grew up in the church, I fell away from the church, and I got I got into the scene where I was I was I was. I love to party. Let's just put it like that. And I, I, I be, like, to party was defined by certain things. Alcohol, other substances. They were to me to party. There was no party without those. That was what it was. To do that was to party. It was to have fun. It was, that was where my joy was. That was where my peace came. That was, I lived for that. Like I loved it. And then I got to church bought by my brother. Very good move. Brad, there he is. No one's going to come to church because I, I preach well. People come to church because you care that they are broken and hurting, even when they don't show it, and that you know that Jesus is their solution. People come to church because you they see in you a desire to connect them with the one that gives you hope. Not because church is a better experience than a rock concert down the road. Most of the time it's, it's not. But God is here. And when I walked into church, people prayed for me, laid hands on me. We're gonna do that after this. But I know I got set free. I had a, I had a moment where someone prayed for me about addiction to these things and I got set free. But do you know how long it took me to walk out that freedom from being free from? That every time I walked into a social setting that felt like a party, what do you think I wanted to do? I wanted to go back. I wanted to drink. I wanted to do other stuff because that, that was what felt normal. That was what felt like it should. That was, I was free from, but I wasn't free to. I wasn't free to go to a party and have a party without those things. And so many of us, we live in disappointment in the wilderness because we don't see what it's doing. We're like, well, I was prayed for once. I believe I got set free, but I'm 10 years down the track and I'm not. 
It's because you've spent 10 years in the wilderness because God is trying to get you to keep facing the enemy so that you can overcome the temptation. Scripture tells us that we are more than conquerors, that we are overcomers through Christ who loves us. And we've got to get that in us and live it out so that it comes to pass. It comes to pass in our, in our thinking. Now, Paul got it. Be transformed by working hard. No, he didn't say that. Be transformed by turning up to church. No, he didn't say that either. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you want a modern day context of the wilderness, the wilderness is in your mind. The wilderness is in your mind. External circumstances might stir it up. You might feel like you're in a wilderness, but you're in a wilderness in here. You're in a wilderness because God is trying to transform your thinking to be rooted and shaped, not by culture, not by experience, but by the Word of God. And if you know about Jesus' temptation, you know how He got through it. He got through it with the Word of God. He got through it by saying, I would love to turn stones into bread, but that's not who I am. He stood on his identity in the word. That's not who I am anymore. Do you know how many times I had to tell myself that's not who I am anymore? That's not who I am anymore. I don't like those things anymore. God's changed me. I'm a new creation. I have new desires because I'm a new creation. Therefore, even though I do desire that, I know in me is a new man that doesn't. And I'm gonna tell myself, I don't want that anymore. I don't like that anymore. And that's what the wilderness sounds like where you tell the temptation, that's not me anymore. That's not me anymore. Sometimes it's in the midst of outworking the temptation. And we need to look at it and say, I'm not that anymore. I'm not that anymore. You know, it says the angels were present. But do you know what they didn't do? They didn't stop the temptation. They didn't intervene. They were just there as a constant reminder that in the midst of temptation, God is with you. In the midst of temptation, God is with you. Ever-present reminder that you are His Son in whom He is proud, loves you. Thanks for making time to hear this message today. We encourage you to connect with us by heading to c3victory.org.au 